the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get underway now. At eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Thursday, the second morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. We've got a very, very busy show lined up for you today. Before I tell you about that show, I would like to take just a second to wish a very happy anniversary, 22 years, with my life partner. Happy birthday, sweetheart. I love you very much, and I hope you know that. Dr. Everett Piper at 1010 this morning will be uh, on with us. Uh, Dr. Piper was traveling last week. We were unable to catch up with him, but the culture wars continue, and Dr. Piper has lots of thoughts, particularly on what is causing this rash of shootings that we have seen ramped up over the course of the last uh, couple of weeks here in the United States. little spoiler alert for you. It's not guns. It's not about guns. It is not about uh, the availability of guns. It is about culture, and we'll talk to Dr. Piper about that at 1035. Spencer Raley of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, will be joining us. We haven't talked to FAIR in a little while, but it's time. Why? Because this is just an astounding number. Um, 47 million people in the United States are foreign-born. It's a new record. Foreign-born population is at a record 47 million in April of this year. 
It increased $2 million since January of 2021, driven largely, of course, by Brandon's policies allowing and encouraging illegal immigration. So we're going to talk about what that means. And we're going to talk about exactly how it is we're supposed to protect this country from so many of the grave threats uh, that its people face. Chief Raul Ortiz of the um, uh, Border Patrol, he's the uh, U.S. uh, Border Patrol uh, chief, highlighted something a couple of days ago, a three-day recap of what Border, Border Patrol was able to seize and what they were able to to see and stop over the course of, of a three-day period last week right before Memorial Day. In three days, they seized 131 pounds of fentanyl, 26 pounds of heroin, 13 pounds of methamphetamine, 22 water rescues were conducted, 18 large groups were apprehended, totaling over 2,446 migrants, 10 sex offenders, 3 gang members, 1 assassination suspect, 1 fugitive wanted for murder, and 3 agents assaulted. All of these numbers were reported by the Chief of the Border Patrol in a 3-day period last week. And, and you know, he, he correctly is, is praising his guys. He said, extremely proud at the end of that tweet with that list. Extremely proud. And, and I get it. He's proud of the job they did getting those things stopped or conducting those water, rat, water rescues, etc. But it begs the question, how many got away? How many pounds of fentanyl, heroin, meth, how many gang members, how many sex traffickers, etc., 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 how many of them got through? Because they are just completely overwhelmed at the border. So we're going to talk to Fair about that coming up at... Um, uh, at uh, 10.35 this morning. And then at 11.10, Jack Windsor will join us to talk about one of our lead subjects of the of the morning, which I will discuss in the monologue. And that is, how do we protect our kids? A bill has passed in the United States Senate that could, or excuse me, in the Ohio Senate, that could make it easier to arm our teachers. It is a source of contention, though, because some say it's actually a bad bill. I do believe in arming our teachers. Not sure I support this bill. And I'll talk about it with Jack Windsor coming up at 11.10 this morning. So Dr. Everett Piper, Spencer Raley from FAIR, and Jack Windsor, our guests this morning. And before we get into the meat of the uh, news this morning, I would like to ask you not to stand wherever you may be. Face your flag wherever that may be. If you don't have one, that's okay. But put your hand on your heart. Even if you're driving, you can do this part. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in Brandonflation. If you are a believer in $5 a gallon gas, if you are a believer in seizing the guns from the hands of the people of the United States and America the way they did it just north of our border in Canada a couple of days ago, then you don't believe in this flag anyway. You don't believe in the liberty that it represents. So you are exempted from this pledge request. Go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all so it happened again uh, yesterday it was in Tulsa Oklahoma a medical building an active shooter situation terrible story same ending Why? Because they always end the same way. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again in a moment. 
A gunman carrying a rifle and a handgun killed five people Wednesday at a Tulsa medical uh, building on a hospital campus. The latest in a series of deadly mass shootings across the country in recent weeks. This is the AP, by the way. Tulsa Police Department Deputy Chief Eric Dalgleish uh, confirmed the number of dead and said the shooter was also dead, apparently from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And that's where I want to stop the story, because that is the end of the story. Why? Because that is the end of the massacre. It is the end of the active shooter situation. It is the end every single time. As the left continues to try to take your guns so that you are left merciless, or helpless, rather, uh, in the face of a merciless attacker, as they try to take your guns, once again we find the evidence proves that the presence of guns in the hands of the right people save lives. I can't say it any more clear than that. Guns save lives lives. This is just more proof. Every time there is an active shooter situation, every time the presence of guns in the hands of good guys ends the situation one of three ways. Either they shoot the gunman dead, he shoots himself, or C, he surrenders because he doesn't want to get shot. As a rule, generally speaking, mass shooters don't like being shot at. They like shooting. They don't like being shot at. So it ends one of those ways. In this particular case, it was B. He shot himself. He knew it was over when they came for him, and they started pointing guns and firing at him, so he shot himself so he wouldn't have to go through whatever it is he was going to have to go through. But but, But he didn't stop and didn't kill himself until after guns had arrived on the scene to save the day. And I'm going to start phrasing it that way, as long as the media continues to phrase everything as gun violence. As long as the mainstream media continues to say, gun violence, responsible for blank deaths in the United States, gun violence, gun violence, gun violence. Guns don't commit the crimes criminals do. It's not gun violence, it's criminal violence. All right, it's thug violence. It's, in some cases, psychotic people violence. The guns aren't committing the crimes, but if they're going to continue to call it gun violence, then fine. I'm going to refer to it as, as you know, guns uh, saving lives. Guns arrived on the scene. Were they in the hands of people? Yeah, but that doesn't matter. If we're going to blame guns for the deaths, then we're going to blame gu- or we're going to give credit to the guns for saving lives. Guns save lives. Example number two. Had this story yesterday, didn't get to it, surprisingly, because we were so wrapped up in 50 cent a gallon increase in gas prices over the weekend, or since the weekend, rather. Um, But this one is in Carbon Hill, Alabama, another example of why we can never allow them to do what Canada is doing or what Trudeau and his party are doing to Canadians. As Democrats rapidly try to erode American Second Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights to self-defense, another chilling incident affirms the good guy with a gun theory, which is not a theory, it's a fact. On Thursday, two gunmen who invaded a house in Carbon Hill, Alabama, were shot dead by the armed homeowner. The homeowner, who was shot multiple times and injured when gunfire was exchanged, is now recovering after surgery. When I arrived on the scene, I noticed there were two subjects dead inside the home, Carbon Hill Police Chief Antoine Cobb said. They had ski masks on. According to Cobb, another person who was in the house during the home invasion is shaken up but unhurt. 
The deceased suspects, identified as Dwayne Turner and Clifton Embry, both 47 from Talladega County, Alabama. The Walker County Sheriff's Office said a woman who had helped Embry and Turner carry out the home invasion and robbery has been charged. Councilwoman Cindy Killingsworth expressed alarm that such a violent crime had rocked her small collegial community. You don't expect this sort of thing in a small town where most of the people are close-knit. This isn't just a Carbon Hill problem. Home invasions, drive-bys, and so much more are going on everywhere. The world is getting crazier by the day. All of this is true. The feature here that needs to be the, the center of attention or the element of this that needs to be featured, let's phrase it that way, is the fact that this homeowner being armed saved her life. And everyone else in that home. The Alabama home invasion is the latest in a string of incidents spotlighting the importance of the Second Amendment, especially now. This is in the Western Journal. As the nation is roiled by catastrophic crime wave thanks to the left's reckless demonization of police and soft on crime policies. Can't disagree with that at all. Cannot disagree with that at all. I'll give you another example. In Pearland, Texas, there was a couple um, who were, were living, you know, were residing, whatever you want to say. They were just in their home. They were peaceful in their home. When a stranger broke into their homes and attacked them, not with a gun, but with a hammer. A hammer attack in the home. You want to know how that would ended? With a gun. Because the homeowners were armed. The homeowners believe in the Second Amendment and believe in the right to self-defense and they're law-abiding. And when this person broke into their home and attacked them with a hammer, one of them shot the suspect dead. No, correction, shot the suspect. Everyone survived, including the suspect, but shot him and stopped the attack. This is what we are talking about when I say to you on a routine basis, and you can find these stories every single day if you just look for them. Homeowners, private, law-abiding American citizens defending themselves against violent attacks with their guns. Guns save lives. No matter how many times you have to sit here and listen to Joe Brandon screaming, what is anybody going to a gun like that for? Those are just intended to kill. It can't be for hunting one of the deer-wearing Kevlar vests. Those are just intended to kill. Well, you're diggity doggone right those are intended to kill. Intended to kill people who are trying to kill you. They're intended to kill because people are trying to kill you or your family or others. They're not there for decoration, and they're not there just to scare somebody. If it doesn't have stopping power, it's no good anyway. But this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. This is horror movie type stuff. I see the man. I see him raising his arm. A man uses a hammer to attack a couple inside their home. How they fought him off, the life or death decision they made, and why they say love saved them. Love and a handgun. That's what saved them. This Pearland, Texas family uh, was, was saved by their firearm. So we just see this over and over and over again, and yet they want to demonize the guns. My friend Jack Windsor, who's going to be joining me at about 11.10 this morning, put something on Facebook yesterday, just very clear and concise and simplified like I like to do, and I just loved it. You know, he said uh, a police officer 
shoots somebody with a gun and the police officer is bad. A psychotic person shoots people with guns and the gun is what's bad. Think about that. When's the last time everybody, anybody, particularly cop haters, right, who saw a police-involved shooting and said, oh, my gosh, gun violence, gun violence there. That gun that the police officer had was responsible for killing somebody. No, it's always the cop, bad cop, racist cop, bigoted cop, white supremacist cop, 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 cop. It's never about the gun. But when it's a psycho, a legitimately psychotic individual, using the word psycho for short, not just for drama, who is shooting up a bunch of innocent people, it's not about him. It's about gun, 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 gun. That's it. Right? We see it time and time and time again. And now, what are they pushing? They're going to push for red flag laws, an expansion of or the development of or the implementation of red flag laws, perhaps even a national red flag law. That's one of the pieces of gun control legislation that are going to be discussed in the House Judiciary Committee today. When the Senate is back in session, they are going to take this up as well. National red flag laws. And if you don't know what those are yet, you've got to pay attention because these are the laws that will lead to the end of the Second Amendment. They trigger the temporary confiscation of firearms when an individual is deemed a threat to himself or others. The problem is, what does it take to get someone deemed to be a threat to himself or others? One person who knows somebody, maybe who has an axe to grind with somebody, who says, yeah, they're radical, they're wild, and I heard them uh, threaten somebody. Or I saw a post on their Facebook or on their Twitter or something that made me think they're a threat. All it takes is a phone call to authorities, and authorities will come and take their guns away while the quote-unquote threat is investigated. It is an extraordinarily dangerous thing, and it is a very, very, it's a first step on a very, very slippery road toward uh, an end to the Second Amendment. All right, so much to get into about this and more. I want to talk to you at 216-901-0945, particularly now, because we're guest-free here in hour number one. 216-901-0945, Messages to be left on the sound off button at alwaysright.us. That's alwaysright.us, and we're right back. Nine twenty-seven. Thanks for joining us on Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. There is a lot of new news on the webpage right now at alwaysright.us. Let's go ahead and check it out a little bit here, huh? Trending now on alwaysright.us. Lead story, the lead news story, I should say, this morning uh, on alwaysright.us is, of course, about the uh, uh, red flag laws. There's, in fact, three different stories in the top stories. The red flag laws, the pushing of the end of the Second Amendment. Uh, In addition to Joe Biden being too old to be president, there's a National Review article that I strongly recommend you read about Joe Biden being too old to be president. And I think that's pretty accurate, to be honest with you. A California panel is set to release a report calling for comprehensive reparations to black Americans. That's right. They're going to start giving away the money, uh, taxes generated, Primarily by white people in a white, predominantly white state, because we're a predominantly white country who never enslaved anyone, and give that, those dollars to black people who were never enslaved by anyone. 
that's happening in California right now. The Marine Corps has disgraced itself with its Pride Month pandering, literally posting a picture of a helmet with rainbow-colored bullets attached to it. Unbelievable. Uh, pundits have declared Donnie, uh, Johnny, uh, Donnie, Johnny Depp's victory over Amber Heard in that very highly publicized trial that we never covered even once on this program, an end to the Me Too movement. It's officially over. Is that accurate? We may talk about that today. The DOJ is asking the court to reverse the rule lifting requirements for COVID masks on airplanes and public transportation. That's right. They're starting it back up again. A staggering number of athletes collapsed in the past year after receiving vaccinations for COVID, if they can be called vaccinations for COVID. And finally, CNN, of all places, admitting that Dominion voting software has flaws that can be exploited. That's right. As 2,000 mules comes out and we see the voter fraud that was carried out by way of the uh, all universal mail-in balloting and drop boxes, now we also have more information about how they can tamper with the voting machines. So why on earth are we still using them? All of those are questions that need to be asked and hopefully answered by the time we get to the midterm elections in November and hopefully change the course of this country. There you got, there you have it, rather, uh, some of the headlines right now at alwaysright.us. Start your day with alwaysright.us every day. I'm going to continue to provide uh, what I believe to be the best assortment of conservative news and views on the Internet. So you don't have to search 15 or 20 different sites to find all the news. I'll give you the best stories all in one place at alwaysright.us. And, of course, here on the air on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. News is now. Let's get to your calls next. AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So I want to do a little quick uh, follow-up here on something that I was talking about yesterday at the end of the show. Maybe you weren't listening then if you only listened during the first hour. So I'll I'll follow up on it and share it with you if you didn't hear about it. If you have yet to get your tickets to our 100th anniversary party, and celebration that is coming up on June 21st. I want to urge you and encourage you to do so quickly at whkradio.com. You can get general admission tickets, which includes a buffet dinner and two drink tickets. You can get VIP tickets, which includes a VIP area to meet and chat and hang out and discuss things with myself and Tom Kelly while enjoying all of the music Whiskey uh, tasting flight, if you are uh, of a mind to partake. Cigars, special menu available. Private seating and access to the outdoor patio, all a part of the uh, big party that is coming up on June 21st at Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead. But I, uh, the reason I want to hit this again is because of how this all came about. The goal was to have this party, this celebration of the 100th anniversary, Uh, the oldest radio station in the state of Ohio, one of the 15 oldest stations in the country, uh, to still be broadcasting 100 years after turning on their their signal. And we wanted to have this thing downtown. It's a Cleveland radio station. Cleveland is the centerpiece. So we were trying to have this thing downtown at a place on the West Bank of the Flats. 
And um, an agreement was reached. Our general sales manager went out there, talked to their people, and said, yeah, they'd be really, really excited about it. They said they'd be, uh, they were excited to be chosen. The owner of the place, his father, was a partner with another radio group in Cleveland, so he supported local radio, uh, understands the heritage of the station, is good to go, uh, said they would help celebrate. You know, WHK, people may or may not realize, was the first station to bring the Beatles to Cleveland and launch the careers of numerous radio greats. As a matter of fact, um, WHK is listed in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame among influencers of rock, uh, of rock and roll period. So, you know, they said, yeah, that's really cool that you brought the Beatles here. WHK did anyway back in the day. And so he loved the idea of featuring Beatles uh, cover bands uh, in our, at our party. And he offered his house cover bands, his headliners. He said they sell out every Beatles brunch that they have. And he volunteered he would promote the event to the fan and the ticket uh, database that they use for, the, for this place. So they worked it all out. And everything is ready to go. But then suddenly... After a period of time, they started to ghost our general sales manager and us about this about this event that is happening, and it's obviously coming up quick. It's 19 days away, right? They started to ghost us. So after returning from uh, from vacation out of, out of out of the country, as a matter of fact, uh, our our sales manager reached out to the owner and said, "Hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, we're 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 having a lot of delays here. We can't get any contact. We can't get any promotion going. What's going on?" The owner of the place denied ever guaranteeing the house bands, the Beatle cover, Beatles cover bands, and promoting the event that he had promised. He went on a rant about these cover bands and saying they approached him and refused to play our gig after they looked at our Facebook page and determined that, quote, they don't like our politics, end quote. Now, mind you, this is a celebration of 100 years of being in business as a radio station the influence on rock and roll, and the Beatles, and so much more. It is not a political event in any way. In any way. But they don't like your politics, so they don't want to play. He also denied ever promising to promote the event, even though they have correspondence from the employee uh, manager that they would. Because he doesn't, quote, promote political events, which, again, this wasn't going to be and isn't going to be. He stated that, Many political events are held at his club, and none of them have ever received their personal promotion, which, again, they promised because this wasn't going to be a political event. As a longstanding member of the RPCC's executive committee, however, our general manager says he can never, ever recall a Republican event being held there, not once. But the owner of the place said that the vast majority of his client base would be appalled at being associated with our politics. And when you take a look at their politics, maybe you'll understand why. As it turns out, this particular place on the West Bank of the Flats, one that does music and has supper, and I'll leave it there, they host drag queen brunches and shows at their venue. So apparently their politics conflict with our politics, so our non-political 100th anniversary celebration was not going to be possible. So at this meeting, he wouldn't give the name of the bands that he had lined up. And Tim wanted them, or our, our sales manager wanted them, because the reason why is not to contact the bands, but because he was going to try to find somebody else to play. And if these bands had refused to play, he didn't want to contact them. So give us, tell us who won't do this so we can contact and find somebody else who will. And they took that to mean that he wanted to harass and or threaten those bands. 
So it's just a great big embarrassing display of wokeness in downtown Cleveland where we wanted to hold this event simply because of the heritage and you know the nature of this the first uh, uh, radio station to bring the Beatles to Cleveland, the first the oldest radio station in the state of Ohio. It should be in the centerpiece of Northeast Ohio in downtown Cleveland. So we wanted to have it there and the whole thing was yanked out from underneath us by wokeness. Wokeness of the club manager, wokeness of the bands, maybe, unless he was just lying about that part. Wokeness of the, quote, clients that would be appalled that they would host an event for people with our politics at WHK. So that's how all of that went down. So a last-minute change, and what did we do? We said, we need to find somebody who will host us with all of our politics. And, of course, it took 0.0002 seconds to say, hey, Tony George. And Tony George said, let's go. Tony George is the owner of Harry Buffalo in uh, North Olmstead, Great Northern Boulevard. And what a tremendous venue it's going to be for us anyway. The patio area is simply incredible. It's just so much uh, there's so much atmosphere, and uh, it's just, it's just it's such a great place to be. Great food anyway. So we're going to have all of those things that I told you anyway. Instead of going downtown in the Woke Center, we are going to be on the west side in North Olmstead, and we are going to have ourselves a tremendous party and celebration. Uh, help us fight back against the cancel culture. All right? Don't let them win this. Get your tickets now. At whkradio.com, whkradio.com. General admission tickets are available. VIP tickets are, are, are available. All of the information you need is on the webpage. Right now, they're on sale. And this is coming up in 19 days. Do not let them crush our celebration. 100 years of heritage um, in uh, WHK Radio. All right, so I want to get that out there, and I'll probably repeat some of this to you a little bit as we go over the course of the next couple of weeks as we try to make sure that everybody is there to have a great time and help us celebrate this uh, this monument and this milestone, this monumental achievement, rather, and this milestone. Having said all of that, back to, and if you want to talk about it, too, 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. They tried to cancel us. And in a way, they did because they refused to host us, but they thought that might stop us. No, we just decided to go to somebody who believes uh, in freedom and who believes in, uh, you know, uh, free speech. Somebody who does not believe in the cancel culture. And that's exactly what we found in Harry Buffalo and and, uh, Tony George. So uh, join us there at WHKRadio.com. Get your tickets at WHKRadio.com. Now, I want to pivot back to the news for just a second. I didn't spend one single second of these uh, on these airwaves of this radio broadcast over the course of the last two, three, four, I don't even know how many weeks it went on, the Johnny Depp trial, the Donnie, Johnny Depp lawsuit against his ex-wife Amber Heard and her countersuit against him. And it's been just, you know, I mean, it's even on, on uh, conservative news pages like Fox News. You know, I mean, they're just all, I didn't even put a story up on alwaysright.us. You know, as I try to compile the best conservative news and views and the newsmakers, I didn't even put a story up there because it was just so I don't care, right? And I didn't. Hollywood can, can you know, go pound sand as far as I'm concerned. But once this trial ended and we got the result yesterday, suddenly it became newsworthy enough for me to talk about. Because I don't care about, again, the the. the trials and tribulations that these two had in this very rocky and weird and bizarre marriage. But I'll tell you what, this is a big story. Pundits across the country and across the social media sphere, and maybe even the traditional media sphere, have declared that Johnny Depp's victory over Amber Heard 
means that the Me Too movement is officially dead. And that's large. If you don't know the backstory here, it's super quick. During the height of the Me Too movement, around 2018, when so many of these people were just coming out screaming with every accusation, and we were told that we have to hashtag believe all women. Every woman who claims that she has been abused or assaulted or harassed or anything else had to be believed. Throw out this presumption of innocence in the United States and presume that the man that is being targeted is guilty. That's what Me Too means. Me Too and believe all women mean, right? So she wrote an article in the Washington Post in the height of all of this thing, uh, talking about being a survivor of domestic abuse in her marriage while she was married to Johnny Depp. This did, according to Depp, irrevocable damage to his reputation. In fact, he hasn't had a role, I don't think, since all of that came down. So he sued her for $50 million for damaging his reputation on lies because he never abused her. That was his take, right? So... She countersued and said, you know, I'm suing him for $100 million for emotional this and compensatory that or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like I said, I didn't care. But the fact that she accused him of being an abuser and they spent weeks and weeks and weeks in front of a jury laying out all of the drama of their marriage. And a jury looked at it and only took 13 hours for them to come back and say, no, he didn't. You owe him $15 million. And by the way, $15 million will pretty much essentially bankrupt Amber Heard. It's a huge, huge, huge decision saying, no, he didn't do what you said he did. You did damage his career with these lies, and this cannot stand. So the the bigger picture here is finally somebody stood up to a Me Too accuser who was lying for their own personal gain and benefit and perhaps for the personal destruction in a you know in a in an ugly divorce or an ugly breakup or whatever situation the destruction of their uh you know of their their uh former lover/husband so yesterday the jury vindicated Johnny Depp and these were some of the the messages Rich Zioli Johnny and these are only blue che- blue checkers on Twitter Johnny Depp won in the court of public opinion and in the court of law Pirates of Caribbean, the end of Me Too. Michelle Salarier, Me Too is official, oh, officially over. Carmine Sabia, Amber Heard still saying he did it. Ridiculous. She lied. She is a liar. Hashtag Me Too has been used as a weapon. And finally, women are learning that they will be held liable for false statements against innocent men. Martha McCallum, Fox News. The debt verdict puts a bit of a, puts a, bit of a stake in the heart of the notion that you must, quote, believe all women. Justin Baragona, after the Depp Heard verdict, Fox News anchor, oh, I just repeated, that was what Martha McCallum said, sorry. Uh, let's see. Nitesh Singh, we are moving toward men too from me too. I love that one. That's one of my favorites. Uh, Ariva Martin, attorney, hashtag Johnny Depp legal team eviscerated hashtag Amber Heard lawyers. Clearly, this sets women back decades and erodes the progress we had made with, with Me Too. This will have a chilling effect on abused women. Okay, so this is the start of the other side. This is the start of the um, pundits reacting and saying, this is terrible. How dare them actually challenge the accusations made by a woman? Don't you know we're supposed to believe all women? And if you don't believe all women, that you are setting women back for decades? You're eroding the progress of Me Too. You're making women targets for abuse again. You have to. You have to convict this man. You have to side on the uh, 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 side with uh, the woman in the situation. You have to be on her side, because if you don't, all women are going to be set back for a long time. That was Attorney Ariva Martin. Um, 
musician Otep Shamaya called for removing the, quote, toe fungus, known as Amber Heard, from the Me Too movement. Quote, removing toe fungus like this from the Me Too movement only bolsters its purity. Women already face so many obstacles in domestic violence cases without other women deliberately poisoning the well for personal gain. Hashtag fossilized sap. Uh, so, and, and I'll stop there uh, because I, I think you understand the point. No one, least of all me, has ever been suggesting that it is okay to abuse, harass, molest, or in otherwise, in, in any other way rather, um, assault women. But the Me Too movement was destructive. The Me Too movement was illegal. The Me Too movement was unconstitutional. The Me Too movement was completely one-sided garbage. Because believe all women means you must automatically presume the guilt of the person that they are targeting, the man. And then it's up to him to try to prove a negative. He has to prove that he didn't do what she said that he did do. And everybody is told, believe her and put the onus on him. No. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way in a court of law, and it can't work that way in a court of public public opinion either. You can't put the onus on the defendant to say he didn't do it. The onus has to be on the prosecution, or in this case in civil matters, the accuser, to prove that he did do it. And everyone should assume he did not until proof is offered that he did. Men were demonized. It's part of the attack on the patriarchy. It's part of the attack on, quote, toxic masculinity, because that's what leads these men to attack these women. Men were demonized. Men were harmed. Men are continuing to be harmed by false accusations from angry, maybe bitter, broken up women who have, uh, you know, in situations they didn't get a job or they were fired from a job or it was a bad relationship breakup. Whatever the case might be, I'll show you. Here's the public accusation, and it's my word against yours. And since believe all women exist, they're going to believe me and not you. Have some of that. That's what that's what they were doing. So this depth verdict, even though I didn't cover the trial one bit on this program, this depth verdict is monumental in its importance. It's monumental in its um, in its statement that yes, men matter too, and believe all women was trash from the very beginning. How about look for the truth instead of believe all women? All right, sorry for the the, uh, extended rant there. Quick time out at 9.55, right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, second morning, sixth month, year of our Lord 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Always Right Radio is online at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Check out the leading stories of the day. We're constantly adding and updating those each and every hour, since each and every hour, but multiple times per day. So make sure you keep checking back there. I do have a ton of messages on the sound off page. 
people are clicking sound off and leaving their messages for me to play on the air. I will play those as this program goes on. There's a lot of really good content there to respond to. So if you are not listening to the show live, if you're listening to it on podcast, delay, or whatever the case might be, or if you just don't have time to be waiting on hold to get through, leave me the message. I will play it. You will get your response one way or the other. All right. I want to dive into the culture wars again now. And this is literally what uh, the culture war is all about. Um, terrible, terrible atrocities, shootings, uh, mass shootings, school shootings, grocery store shootings. We've seen church shootings. We've seen temple shootings. We've seen nightclub shootings. We've seen office building shootings. And they're just happening all over the place. And one response to that is get rid of the guns. It's certainly the gun's fault. Another answer is no, it's the culture's fault. That's why I'm saying this is really about culture wars. Joining us now to discuss is our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper, back with us after a week hiatus. Good to, uh, good to talk to you again, Dr. Piper. Uh, Dr. Piper, for those who do not know, is a best-selling author. He is a former university president. He is a podcast host in uh, his native Oklahoma as well. And he's a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. Doctor, good to have you back. How are you? It's good to be back. Always good to join you, Bob. So... A uh, really, really interesting piece in the Times this week, and I want to talk about this. And you know, your, your your premise is, is is very obvious, and you you might almost think you don't have to say these things, but you do because some people do not want to know the truth. And that is, gun control does not prove less violence, less gun violence. It actually uh, shows exponentially more. And you don't have to look very far, uh, not even in terribly distant history, but even in more recent history, to show what happens when a population of people. Uh, is disarmed by an out-of-control, overreaching government. And people seem to think that we're immune to such things here, that we are, because we were gifted this glorious republic by our founding fathers, uh, you know, that we're exempt from the things that happen in other places. No way our government would ever turn on us. We don't need to protect ourselves from them. And, Dr. Piper, you've proven uh, through your research here, and, again, it doesn't take a, a deep dive here to find this stuff, that this is exactly what we should be afraid of. Well, yeah, my article in the Washington Times this past week, I believe I titled it, uh, More Laws Will Not Make Us a More Moral People. And as evidence of that, I just go back and I cite those nations, those countries that have become governed by draconian laws and gun control, where confiscation of weapons was one of the first things that happened. I mean, you go back to, well, let's just go to a current example, North Korea. That's a gun-free zone, quote-unquote. But yet we know that at least a million people have suffered death at the hands of the North Korean regime. So how's that working for you? I mean, we should ask the Dr. Phil question. This isn't working well for that particular nation. People don't have the right and the means to defend themselves, so they're left at the mercy of a despot. Go back to the Nazi regime and the Third Reich and a gun-free Germany, where the citizens weren't allowed to defend themselves, specifically citizens that were Jewish or Gypsy or Poles. They suffered at the hands of a gun held in the hand of not their neighbor, but the government. Go back to the Soviet Union and Mao's Red China. They win the gold medal for a gun-free zone, where we know that at least 16 to 20 million, and that's probably an underestimate, People died at the hands of a government who believed that the people should not have the right to defend themselves. We go back to the very founding of our country. Why do we have the Second Amendment? It's because 
we recognize that the greatest threat to human liberty is not your neighbor, but your government. And our founding fathers understood that, and they recognized that if the people had the right to defend themselves, they could defend themselves over the um, or from they could defend themselves from the aggression of the king, from the despot who thinks he has the right to tell us how to live our lives. So my conclusion is this: it's not the gun that's the problem. If you go back just as recently as the 50s, the 1950s in America, we didn't have all these shootings. Why? Is it because we didn't have guns? No, we had just as many guns. In fact, many of us can remember the day when we went to high school in a rural community and the the farm boys, the ranchers, had pickups with gun racks in their pickups. They drove them to high school and they had their rifle or their shotgun in the gun rack. They didn't nobody worried about them taking that gun and shooting anybody in the school. Why? It's because we taught people to behave morally back then. We taught young men to behave in an ethical fashion. We actually honored the Ten Commandments, and in many locations we had them posted in the schools. If we start taking those lessons out of the school, and if we start teaching our young men that that a condom, using a condom, is uh, how to use it uh, effectively is more important than the Ten Commandments, it should be no surprise that they've lost their moral core, the compass that tells them how to behave properly. My conclusion is this, Bob. You can take away the guns, and they're going to use a sword. You can take away the sword, they'll use a club. You can take away the club, they'll use a rock. It isn't the instrument that's the problem. It's the soul. The ideas are the problem in our culture right now, not the weapon or not the instrument. I mean, claiming that guns result in violence is no would be like saying that a hammer results in me bludgeoning somebody to death with it. No. You can't you can't blame the hammer. You have to blame the individual and the fact that he no longer has any moral compass to stop him from doing things that are wrong and doing things that are evil. Uh, a very well argued uh, a point and presentation, and um, and you are of course correct. This is why I brought it up in in the context of culture. Um, our culture is in serious jeopardy. It's in serious decline. Uh, the nuclear family, we talk about this all the time when it comes to Marxism trying to tear apart uh, the nuclear family. And just the fact that more than 50% of American marriages end up in divorce. Um, and sadly, um, far, far, far too many uh, children are raised up in single-parent households, maybe from parents who either got divorced or were never married to begin with. And that lack of a father, we talk about this uh, you know, in a lot of different contexts, Dr. Piper, but maybe none more important than this. When you are raised without the moral center, and this is, of course, not to praise fathers over mothers, don't get me wrong, but discipline, generally speaking, not in every case, it's not an absolute, but discipline has often been has been left into the, you know, in the, in the purview of the of the father in, in a household. It's kind of like, wait till your father gets home, mom would always say, because then you're in serious trouble. You take away that authority figure, you take away that respect for discipline that is taught first there, then you don't have that discipline when it goes. It comes time to go into a school and, and listen to a teacher that's another authority figure. You don't have that respect for the authority figure that is the coach. Then when you get in, out, out into society, you don't have the respect for that authority figure that is a police officer. 
uh, or the law. All of these things, I think, can be traced back. That's why in the 1950s, you're talking about, you know, gun racks and rifles being, par- uh, you know, mounted on the, in, on the racks in the trucks of kids who were inside in school and nobody worrying about it because these kids were raised with a different type of discipline. And I know we both probably sound like the old guy compl- uh, talking about, you know, walking to school uphill both ways in the, in the snow with, with no shoes, but... Uh, you know, but the reality is we're raising our kids differently in families that are very, very different than they once were. That's what I mean by the culture war. Well, and, you know, the difference in the the old you know, walking to school uphill both ways in bare feet in the snow, you know, that's obviously not true. That, and, and, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an exaggeration to make the point that we, right. we actually lived a different life back then, and it wasn't as easy as life is today. So that's that that's a metaphor that's an analogy that doesn't bear itself out in actual facts but the fact of the matter on gun violence is that we didn't used to shoot each other in our schools dennis prager has something that he put out on uh, uh, prager university this week where he actually cites the actual data in the 1930s 1940s 1950s 1960s and how there is disproportionate gain in violence over the decades. Well, what is the key variable that we should be looking at? Is it gun availability? No. Guns were pervasively available in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Why is there an increase in violence? Well, maybe we should go back and consider the ideas that we abandoned during that time frame and the ideas we started teaching to our progeny during that time frame. If we're abandoning the big laws of God, our Heavenly Father, and we're supplanting those laws with our own stupid ideas, like uh, like critical theory, which is pervasive today, which teaches vengeance and violence as opposed to virtue, which teaches victimization rather than personal responsibility and self-restraint. When we start teaching bad ideas, we're going to suffer bad consequences. The gun is not the issue. It's the ideas that are to blame here. And the ideas that we're perpetuating in our progeny right now are not good, and they bear themselves out negatively in the culture war. You know, you uh, you spoke about some of the other weapons and and pointing out that guns aren't the issue here. You think you talked about knives and hammers and even rocks. They're, they're, they keep federal statistics of uh, the the weapons used in you know the number of homicides every year, and I saw. The most recent numbers are were from 2020, I believe. Just a few days ago, somebody sent them to me. And did you know that there are just slightly fewer people killed with hammers every year than with rifles, including the dreaded assault rifle that is the AR-15 that has to be taken off the market because nobody needs to have that killing machine, that weapon of war. The, the, the numbers, I mean, just almost equal the number of people killed by hammers. And you know what actually exceeded rifles in the number of, of, of homicides in the United States in 2020? Hands and feet. More people are beaten to death with hands and feet in fistfights or, or fist, you know, just assaults, mano a mano, or maybe multiple people. But hands and feet result in more homicides every year than rifles do. If that doesn't illustrate the point, Dr. Piper, that we're focusing on the wrong thing here, I don't know, I don't know if anything will. You're spot on. If you focus on the instrument, whether it be a hammer, whether it be a car, whether it be your hands or your feet, and you focus on removing the instrument from culture without addressing the ideas, the violence and the vengeance and the vice, to use alliteration here, but that's exactly what we're teaching in our schools right now. If you don't train up a virtuous culture, 
then you're not going to have positive outcomes within that culture. You're going to have a violent people that are focused on revenge. And, and perhaps it's best summarized in the words of John Adams, who said, and you know where I'm going with this, our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Adams was telling us our Constitution is good, and we will have a good culture if we teach people to behave morally. It is only good for a moral and religious people. And when he said religion, he was talking about Christianity, a moral and religious people. And it's wholly inadequate to govern any other, because without that moral barometer, you're not going to have a constitutional republic. You're not going to have a free society. You're going to have to control somebody with government if they're not self-controlled through their own moral compass. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest this morning on AM 1420. The answer will take a time out of here. And by the way, Dr. Piper, I try to see every PragerU video, and I think I missed the one that you were just talking about. So uh, I'm going to ask you to send that to me if you have it. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about the federal government's response to all of this, including the president of the United States, who says he's going to push for, quote, gun compromise, even as he talks about banning the most popular handgun in America. We'll continue with Dr. Piper after this, same 1420. Okay, 1024 now we continue with Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, so I was, you know, we're going to stick on this topic of, uh, of guns and the assault on guns as being the cause of the problem here rather than the culture and, uh, and the people The president of the United States made a very interesting comment. This is one of the reasons why so many of us are afraid to give even an inch when it comes to our rights to protect ourselves as guaranteed by the Second Amendment, which guaranteed by God, because God God gave us our rights. Uh, The Constitution merely codified them and put them into into language. But, um, you know, we don't want to give an inch because we know what's coming after that inch. Then it's a foot, then it's a yard, then then it's a mile. At first, it was those dreaded assault rifles, the AR-15s that have to be off the market. Then Biden starts rambling about, you know, a twenty-two caliber bullet uh, lodged in a lung can be removed and you can save the life. But a 9 millimeter caliber bullet gets blows the lungs right out of the body, which, by the way, is just wholly, completely inaccurate. But regardless, he said, there's no justification for having them. So now we know that if he gets the, the rifles off the, off the market and out of the hands of the people, you know it's only a matter of time before it's now let's move on to those 9 millimeters. I mean, eventually, everybody's going to be left with a straw and a spitball, and that's the only thing you're going to be able to, to, to fire at, uh, at would-be attackers. And you say what to that? Well, the ignorance of Joe Biden on this particular issue. I mean, and I, I hate to be cruel, but he, he's a doddering dolt. He doesn't know what he's saying. And it's either because he's lied to himself so frequently over the course of 80 years that he doesn't know what's true any longer, which is quite likely the case. But you combine that with his clear dementia, and you have somebody that's a very dangerous man, because we're not dealing in reality here. He actually said in concluding the comments about a 22 caliber and a 9 millimeter and all of this kind of nonsense, he talked about how there was no rational basis for anything over a 22 caliber for hunting. Um, I'm going to comment on that. But then he concluded by saying, our Constitution, comma, the Second Amendment, comma, is not absolute. That's a frightening statement to say our Constitution and the Second Amendment are not absolute. How can you swear to defend something if you don't consider it to be an absolute document? 
and it's just subject to your every whim and feeling and opinion. I mean, this is just his commentary on these shootings is just outrageous in every way. But let's get back to the issue of hunting. Okay. Does this? I get so weird. I live in rural America. I live in Oklahoma. I've got a little slice of ranch land. And guess what? If my calves are in danger of getting attacked by coyotes, you know what I do to the coyotes? I shoot them. I kill them because they're making, they're, they're putting my livestock in danger. If I have armadillos out in the pasture digging holes, guess what I do? I shoot them. I kill them because the holes will break my horse's legs. People that don't live in rural America are delusional. You can't do what I just suggested with a 22. There's a reason that in most states, and this is a fact, in most states it's illegal to use a 22 for deer hunting. Why? Why is it illegal to use a 22 in Michigan or Ohio for deer hunting? The reason is, is because it will maim the poor animal, it won't kill it, and it's going to die a very slow, miserable death. It's inhumane to use a 22 for hunting. Joe Biden doesn't even know that. And this is such a ridiculous commentary on his part. And a, a 9 millimeter, guess what, Joe Biden? A 9 millimeter is a handgun. It's not a rifle. And it doesn't blow the lungs out of anything unless you point blank, I guess, shoot somebody in the chest. This is just ridiculous. Our Second Amendment is absolute. The Constitution is absolute. It's an objectively absolute document that should not be violated. And you've sworn as president of the United States accordingly. But these people and their progressive mindset, again, they've lied to themselves so frequently they don't know which end is up any longer, and they can't think their way out of a paper bag. Dr. Piper, very, very well said. And and while we're on the subject of killing, since this seems to be the, the issue here, um, I have to ask you, because we didn't have you last week. Uh, it was about seven days ago, right, eight days ago now, that Kevin Stitt, the governor out there in your homeland of Oklahoma, signed the strictest abortion law in America. Uh, a ban that begins literally at fertilization. This is what so many people have been waiting for, and this is why it is so crucial that Roe versus Wade be overturned so that this is a decision left to the states so that states like yours and hopefully other like-minded individuals uh, can do this and so that we can protect life, so that we can stop the intentional killing. It's so funny, not funny, of course, but it's just so bizarre how radical the left wants to go to protect children in schools by banning guns, but they don't want to protect, protect children in the womb under any circumstances up to and including at the moment of birth. Yeah, they're making a decision as to who is human and who is not, who deserves the right of life and liberty and who doesn't. And this is a very dangerous place for any culture to go. I remind everybody listening right now that the Nazis dumbed down the definition of the human being and executed a lot of people that they perceived to be subhuman. That's not a good thing. Thank you, Governor Stitt, for recognizing that God defines life and that it begins at fertilization. You and I don't define life. God does. And that means everybody who is human has the right to life and liberty. And we have no right to take that right away from any other human being. Dr. Everett Piper, terrific conversation as always, sir. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Piper. That's Dr. Everett Piper in Oklahoma. We'll take a time out here. It's 1030, Always Right Radio on AM 1420 The Answer.
the answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. You know, that little intro is, uh, is pretty good, that bump back. Awakening the sleeping masses. People are sleeping on the immigration issue. People are sleeping on the southern border. Quite literally, they're sleeping at the southern border, but that's not what I mean. I mean with four, what is it, 67 the national average? 4.67 a gallon. Inflation on everything you buy because it has to be brought from one place to another and those gas costs have to be passed on to you, the consumer. So everything in your clothing store, in your grocery store, in your hardware store, it doesn't matter. It's all jacked up. The prices are. We've got shootings left and right. We've got gun control uh, debates raging. And all the while, they just keep pouring across the southern border. No one's watching. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's doing anything about it except for the Biden administration. And what they're doing about it is encouraging it and continuing it and supporting it. Eventually, there's going to be a Rubicon that cannot be crossed. There's a breaking point that I think every country has. I don't know how close we are to ours, but I feel like we are getting very, very close. I feel like we are approaching it, and I don't know how, what it's going to take to turn it back around. We need to talk about this. Let's wake the sleeping masses as the promo goes. Joining us now is Spencer Rayleigh. He is the research director at FAIR. That's the Federation for, of, uh, for American Immigration Reform. I'll be broadcasting live from holding their feet to the fire again this September, as I've done in previous years, so that we can indeed awaken the masses. Spencer, thank you for the time this morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you. So I, I wish we didn't have the numbers that we have. I'm, I'm going to throw a couple of things at you before we get into policy and before we get into some things that FAIR is doing. Okay. Foreign-born population, according to uh, another organization, uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, uh, the foreign-born, po- and they're just using the census, the foreign-born population hit a record 47 million in April of this year, so just a little over a month ago. And that number increased 2 million since January of 2021, driven largely by illegal immigration. Um, A lot of people have had a lot of things to say about population replacement theory because of what happened with the uh, terrible shooting in Buffalo and an individual there who wrote about it to some extent. Um, Is this not what we're witnessing before our very eyes right now? Is this not, it's not theory when it's in action. 47 million foreign-born population, 2 million higher, and almost all of those illegal immigrants being brought across our southern border. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about here? Right. You know, the the goal of the Biden administration right now, the goal of the mass media, is to essentially turn this whole concept, this whole theory, into another, you know, far-right-wing, radical, racist kind of, you know, conspiracy theory. And the reason they're doing that is because, as you say— it is occurring to some certain extent. All you have to do is look at the proportion of foreign-born individuals to U.S. citizens to uh, you know, uh, native-born Americans over the years. That gap is closing. And so you know, whatever your conclusion is for that, is as good as it bad, you can't deny that it's happening. It is happening. And, you know, you had brought up the foreign-born population increase. You know, actually, uh, we at Fair think that number is a little bit higher. I've got a report coming out 
here in the next month or so that's going to show the foreign-born population is right on the threshold of 50 million. We have it at right at uh, 49 million right now. And as as was mentioned in the CIS report accurately, most of this is because of these record border crossings we're seeing every month. It seems like a new record is being set. In April, we saw 234,000. That number has never been recorded before. Uh, and May looks like it could very well be even higher. And if uh, the Biden administration is successful in ending Title 42, you can see that realistically double every single month. That is a staggering figure, as as are all of these numbers. And they kind of start to to run together, I think, don't they? Uh, I mean, we're, we're, Spencer, what we're talking Spencer Raley is the research director at FAIR. What we're talking about here, these numbers start to just kind of become figures passing in the night. Our eyes glaze over because we can't wrap our brains around how many people. Let me give you some other numbers, and I want you to comment on this, Spencer. Um, chief Raul Ortiz, the chief of the uh, U.S. Border Patrol, uh, he posted uh, on Twitter four days ago or a, couple, a few days ago. I don't know if it exactly. Uh, a three-day recap of their haul, 131 pounds of fentanyl, 26 pounds of heroin, 13 pounds of meth, 22 water rescues, 18 large groups totaling 2,446 migrants, 10 sex offenders, three gang members, one uh, assassination suspect, one fugitive wanted for murder, and three agents assaulted. And he said extremely proud, as he should be. The fact that they rescued people and they captured people and they got all these drugs and so forth. But, But what do those numbers mean? Because how many, Spencer, because they're so outnumbered on that border, how many of them did we not get? How many pounds got by the Border Patrol agents because they're they're completely overwhelmed by the number of people who are streaming across that border? Right, right. And, and first of all, I always get a little bit of a chuckle when I see, you know, uh, the Biden administration talking, you know, about how proud they are of how many individuals they've, you know, saved at the southern border, which is all right, all good. They're doing great work there. But at the same time, so many of these individuals are getting into trouble at the southern border because of policies that the Biden administration has enacted. Uh, and, and to your point about, you know, all, all the drugs, all the violence we're seeing coming across the border, it's it, it, it's just a severe issue that's getting even worse. And again, like you mentioned, it's one that it's so easy for our eyes to glaze over. It's hard to see these figures in context. But if you look at just the amount of fentanyl that was seized at the southern border last year, that was enough to kill every single person in the United States multiple times. You know, that is that is the beginning of an epidemic that we're starting to see the, the, the terrible results of now. You know, deaths going up every single month in regards to fentanyl. This is becoming, you know, just a bigger and bigger issue. And that's a testament to the fact that so much of this is getting across the border successfully. So much of it is making it into the hands of drug dealers in the United States, into, you know, in, in, in you know, getting to buyers, to uh, American citizens. And troublingly, we're starting to see more and more of this find its way into our schools. You know, kids getting hooked on some of these dangerous drugs. Mm-hmm. And all of that is a result of the Biden administration's policy failure at the southern border. Let's do more numbers here because this is this is extraordinarily important. Again, we're talking with uh, Spencer Raley, who's the research director at FAIR. So let's talk about some of your research and some of the numbers that we have. According to the FAIR website, which is at fairus.org, I want everybody listening to check it out and follow it for the news uh, on uh, immigration and illegal immigration. 
According to the 2021 update, um, there are now approximately 15.5 million illegal aliens residing within the United States. That number substantially higher than the previous estimate of 14.5 million in 2020. Those individuals are imposing a net fiscal burden, according to the calculations by you and FAIR, of $143.1 billion. That's $9 billion over the past year. Mm-hmm. So put, put some of that into context. When we say 15.5 million illegals, are these individuals who are illegal and thus have uh, deportation orders, or are these the people that are coming in and saying, Asylum! And then they're being told, okay, go live your life, and we'll call you back for a hearing on that asylum claim sometime in three years. Um, what do we mean when we say 15.5 million illegals? Well, this is just the, this is the number of people who are in the United States right now without authorization to be here. Uh, so, you know, that includes whether it's your DACA recipients or just those that have crossed the border, decided to stay here, haven't left. Yeah, it's a, it's a very it's a very but does it count? Does, does it count? Does it count the asylum claimants? That's what I'm. That's what I want to know because that seems to be the well, magic word. You come across, you say I'm I'm claiming asylum, and then they don't even. There's the backlog is so enormous they can't give them an asylum hearing. The Remain in Mexico policy, which of course President Trump instituted, uh, said you wait over there while you wait for your asylum claim. But of course under Biden, it's nope. You come into the United States. So I'm just wondering if those individuals are counted because if they're not, then the number fifteen and a half million is right. is, is is dramatically low. Yeah, we do. We do count those who have applied for asylum and have not yet received it. And of course, the vast majority of individuals who cross into the country apply and apply for asylum, you know, either have their claims rejected or, as you mentioned, they just stay in limbo for years. So those individuals are included in our count. Uh, of course, if they do receive asylum, they are then adjusted to having lawful status in the United States. So we don't count those. But this is where. So this is why this is there's such a major issue on the southern border right now because individuals can come to the southern border, file a bogus asylum claim, and be released into the country, and then the majority of those never show up for their hearings. You know they are released into the country. The Biden administration is going to do nothing to try to apprehend them and remove them. Uh, so why not? Why not come to the southern border? You know, file a bogus asylum claim and be released into the country. That's kind of why we're seeing so many individuals come across the border. In fact, when the Trump administration instituted uh, the Remain in Mexico program and that was put into place, you saw illegal border crossings decrease dramatically. In fact, over a several-month period, we saw them uh, decrease by a factor of half. So those policies are effective. And if they were put back in place, we would see this crisis at the southern border start to rectify itself in very short order. Completely agree, and that's so important for people to know. We're talking with Spencer Raley. He is the research director at FAIR. That's the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Extraordinarily important information doing just just such necessary work. One of the other reasons I wanted to have you on today, Spencer, is um, this is also on the website. Two days ago, uh, the Federation for American Immigration Reform submitted a public comment in response to an interim final rule that is explicitly designed by the Brandon administration, if we excuse me for saying Brandon, um, <laughs> to facilitate the release of asylum seekers at the southern border, many of whom would submit fraudulent or frivolous claims. 
The new regulation was proposed in 2021 to allow asylum officers, the most open borders contingency in the federal government, to grant full and immediate asylum. Not even saying you have to come back for your hearing, like you just pointed out, which most of them do not. Right. But to grant full and immediate asylum at the southern border. The goal is to circumvent immigration courts so asylum officers can get to yes as quickly as possible under the rules the Biden administration has written instead of the law. Um, tell me about the impact of that. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, the Biden administration is trying to not just bring these individuals into the country as quickly as possible, but to give them an avenue to stay here. And so the aim here is to essentially, yes, allow these uh, these officers at the southern border who, by the way, have no legal authority to grant asylum. That has to be granted by an immigration judge for Congress. Uh, so this would be, you know, in our opinion, an illegal an illegal uh, move by the Biden administration in the first place. Uh, but their goal is to, yeah, essentially have uh, these uh, have these asylum officers at the southern border be able to just listen to the story of an individual claiming asylum and not even needing to vet the story and just say, yeah, we think you deserve asylum. Therefore, we're going to give it to you and you can come into the United States right now. Whereas, of course, you know, as we know. If they go through the immigration judicial system, go before an immigration judge, that allows, you know, all of these claims to be vetted for investigators to look into whether or not this individual actually does qualify for asylum, does meet the uh, burden of proof uh, necessary to receive uh, uh, asylum under the, you know, the appropriate program. So this is just yet another uh, move, another attempt by the Biden administration to uh, bring these individuals into the country and to protect them from deportation. Well, that seems to be exactly what it is. And what the end game is, I don't know. Most people say this is all about politics and getting more votes. But yet the Hispanic vote, the overwhelming majority of which of these illegal immigrants who are coming across and claiming asylum are from the Central American countries that are, you know, the triangle countries that uh, are, are, you know, almost all Hispanic or, or Latino, Latina. And they're turning away from the uh, uh, from the left and the Biden administration (laughs) in record numbers. If they think this is going to solve their problems, bring all of these people in and then eventually give them voting rights. I don't know if it's going to work as simply as they think it is. Do you? Well, I mean, we're seeing at the southern border. Look at all of these uh, these cities that have, you know, the vast majority of their voters are Hispanic, are, you know, either the children of migrants or they're migrants who have now achieved citizenship status. They're electing, you know, conservative Republican mayors. They are rejecting the Biden administration's uh, uh, narrative, and part of that is because you know some of you know so many of these issues affect them very personally. And of course, uh, you you see those who came to this country lawfully, you know, worked really hard to get here, spent a lot of money, went through the process the right way. They're seeing the Biden administration essentially tell them that they're just like illegal aliens, or not even as good as illegal aliens. That's that's offensive. That's a slap to their face. And so because of that, just seems like the Biden administration is shooting themselves in the foot on this issue. You know, they're trying to bring as many people into the country as possible, hoping that they will then feel like they owe the Democratic Party loyalty. But then at the same time, enacting policy and spewing rhetoric that is offensive to these individuals that they're bringing into the country and making it difficult for them to even live their life in the United States. So it just at some point you start to wonder where the logic went out the window with the Biden administration, because even the things they're doing, you know, out of a uh, nature of self-preservation seem to be, uh, you know, just falling apart and, and shooting themselves in the foot.
Well, you're assuming there was logic in place in the first place uh, before it could go out the window. But uh, but I do understand your point. Spencer Raley, uh, the uh, research director at FAIR, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much. It's great to have a partnership with you to know that we can call on you guys for the facts. Of course, I look forward to seeing you all in person in September again for the next Holding Their Feet to the Fire. And thank you very much for the info. Appreciate you having me on today. You got it. Thank you so much. All right. There you go. That's Spencer Raley, research director. Uh, appreciate the chance to talk to him. If you want to respond to that or anything else, we'll take your calls. I've got some plenty of messages on the uh, uh, on the uh, sound off button right now at alwaysright.us, but we'll re- respond to some of what you have to say next. AM 1420, The Answer. When you need a bit of love Cause your man is out of town That's the time you're getting me running And you know Ten fifty eight now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I want to share a couple of a uh, couple of the sound off clips with you. Some of these came in yesterday. We didn't get a chance to get to, so hopefully they will still be relevant today. But I want to make sure we get them. Hey Bob, Brian from Cleveland. In case we were checking any boxes, I just thought you'd like to know I'm a white heterosexual Christian male in a monogamous relationship with my wife. You know, just in case we were checking boxes. But check it out. There's a gas station by my house. It's got a sign on the pump that says, do not take the Joe Biden stickers off these pumps. If you voted for them, you should be proud to pay these prices. Otherwise, don't rip the stickers off. It's considered vandalism, and you're on camera. Have a great day, man. Love the show. you, <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. Do not take the stickers off, or it's vandalism. You're on camera. You know what? It's true. The message is exactly right. The message is, you voted for him. You should be happy to pay those prices and acknowledge that he's responsible for them. Don't take them down. Be proud of them. This is your doing. No one else's. Well done. Thank you, Brian. Hey, morning, Bob. Yeah, Derek Commissioner calling again. Just one more short one for you. I just wanted to share how uh, last night I um, changed out my work clothes and I just put on a, uh, I had a yellow Gadsden flag shirt and my seven-year-old daughter, she was showing off to her siblings how she could read the back of it. And she reads, don't tread on me. And then we asked her, I said, well, what does that mean? And she says, don't tread on me. Me, That's that's American for back off. And we, that just made our night. We high-fived each other and, uh, yeah, they just, uh, I don't know, it was really good to hear. So just wanted to share that. It thank was. you for listening. Have thank, a good day. Thank Bye. you, Derek and Richfield. It was good to hear. I love it. Great stuff. Thanks very much. Mr. Scream, what do you think? <laughs> ah, it's 11 o'clock. Hour number three is coming up. AM 1420, The Answer. Stay here. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. 
and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, eight minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. It's a Thursday, second morning, sixth month, year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Um, shooting in Tulsa yesterday. This one was in a medical office building as part of a hospital. Five dead, including the gunman. He took his own life, of course, when good guys with guns showed up. That seems to be the theme, doesn't it? Talk about it all the time. I'll continue to do it until it sinks into everybody's head. Every one of these mass shootings ends the same way. It ends when good guys with guns show up. That's it, period. That's it. There's no, there's no alternatives. It's one of three things happens when the good guys with guns show up. Either the good guys with guns shoot the bad guy. Excuse me. <clears throat> Either they shoot the bad guy or the bad guy, knowing it's imminent, is, turns and shoots himself or he throws his gun down, puts his hands in the air and surrenders. Either way, the killing stops. Guns save lives. Apologies, I'm not really choking out here on live radio. <clears throat> but I do have something in my throat. My apologies. You understand the point that I'm making here. The question only becomes, when do you want the good guys with the guns to be there? Minutes later, after a shooting starts, or seconds later? Because there is somebody armed, and in particular we're talking about schools, armed police officers or security specialists or staffers who train, on the premises, who can end that threat before it gets to be too dramatic with the loss of life. So here in the state of Ohio, there's a bill that apparently has now passed the United States Senate. I know this because the Ohio Press Network told me so. That would make it easier to arm teachers in this state. But some say that might not be a good thing based on what the bill actually says. Joining us now to talk about it is the guy who runs the Ohio Press Network. Jack Windsor is the founder and the um, uh, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good morning. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Thank you for choosing me this morning. It's always an honor to be with you and uh, our 1420 listeners. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Jack, of course, is also our Statehouse correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer. So the headline says it all. Bill to make it easier to arm teachers in Ohio passes the Senate. Now, for most Second Amendment supporters, that's a good thing. For most people who believe in hardening schools by uh, making sure there are trained, armed people on the premises to protect kids in the event of something horrific like this, that's a good thing. But not everybody thinks this is a good thing. Tell us about this bill, Jack. So there's actually been an update since the story published. Um, the House passed the bill about six months ago. The Senate took it up last night, added some amendments, and they shipped it back to the Ohio House, and uh, the House approved it. So um, the lawmakers will now send the bill, uh, which will reduce training hours for armed school staff. They'll send that to the governor's desk. And based on a comment that uh, Governor DeWine made uh, yesterday, he talked about sending, uh, calling on the General Assembly last week to carve out some of the hours that would be required for uh, 
officials to be armed in schools, uh, some of those hours to be carved out would be superfluous. So he said, look, we want we want to require training, but we want it to be scenario-based, specific to schools. And so they settled on uh, a 24-hour training period uh, and then four additional hours after that. So uh, it appears that DeWine is going to sign this bill as soon as it gets to his desk. Uh, you know, that should be in the next day or two. And, of course, um, Democrats voted against the bill. Uh, there are actually two Republican senators who voted against it before they sent it back to uh, the House for final approval, and that was uh, Matt, Matt Dolan uh, from the Cleveland area there and um, uh, Stephanie Coonsey from the, the Columbus area here. Uh, but overall, it was along party lines. And what it will do is it will give school boards the option. It's a tool uh, that they can use. Uh, they don't have to require um, anyone within the school district to be armed, but they have the opportunity to do that now. So um, did did you get any statements from Dolan or Kunze or anybody else who was opposed to this, what their, uh, what their argument was? No, I didn't. Um, I have some calls out um, and a text out uh, actually to, to Matt Dolan. Um, and I'd love to talk with him. Of course, we talked with him several times um, during our U.S. Senate forums sure. uh, last year, uh, but I haven't talked to Matt in, in several months. I was surprised um, they didn't send out a press release or something explaining why. Um, because some of the, you know, in your article or in the article that's in the Ohio uh, uh, Press Network, Jack, um, one Democratic senator called this, uh, what was the word, madness? Yeah, madness. Uh, State yeah. Senator Cecil Thomas from Avondale said that 24 hours of training to arm somebody in a school building is simply madness. Quote, we are talking about putting guns in the hands of someone to be in charge of overseeing safety of our schools, and the total amount of training is required is 24 hours. This is madness. Because that drops from what would have been, as you pointed out, <clears throat> Uh, the requirement would have required about uh, 700 hours of, re- of instruction. Yep. This is what uh, yep. uh, was needed to pass the peace officer training course. So from 700 hours down to 24 hours, this seems to be what the point of contention is for those who oppose this bill, right? Yeah, it, it, it is that. It's um, Well, we think it's that, right? I mean, let's face it. It's <laughs> I think, and this is my opinion, um, stepping aside, you know, taking off the news hat for a minute, um, there, there are a group of people who fear guns and want people to fear guns. They're the same group of people who fear law enforcement officers and want people to fear law enforcement officers. It's also the same group of people who respect criminals and their rights to maybe have, uh, you know, pay lower bonds or, um, you know, to, to have reduced time. So it really is kind of a uh, kind of backwards. Um, you know, you respect guns because they can kill and they can hurt. But I don't think you fear them. I think I think fear is the problem there. You respect law enforcement officers, but I don't think you fear them. Um, you know, I, I kind of have a healthy fear for criminals if they're going to bring a gun into the school. Um, and I think what this does, you know, some of the, the senators pointed this out. It might have been Senator Hoagland. He said, look, uh, this allows, let's say you're in a rural location and no one's going to get there for a period of time. This right. allows you to have someone there on hand or if you can't afford to hire a school resource officer, for example. Yeah, no, Jack, that's exactly right, and that's kind of the way I, I, I saw this as well. And I think you're right. I think those who were going to be voting against this bill just needed a reason. Uh, and, the, you know, and so this, uh, they'll say the 24 hours isn't enough. But the real reason is, as you say, they fear guns, and they want everybody else to fear guns. They don't want guns to be in the schools, even if they're in their hands of people who might be able to stop a shooting from, from you know, getting worse. So uh, you, what, what, I, what I think people also don't understand, and, and maybe you can speak to this too, is, 
this would not be required. You said it already that this would not be required. So the fifty-seven-year-old, you know, uh, you know, achy boned uh, and creaky knuckled, uh, you know, math teacher, uh, she's not going to be required to, to carry a firearm and try to engage in a shootout with a suspect. This is all voluntary, and the individuals who I would think would volunteer to carry a weapon and protect students and protect the the people in the school building wouldn't stop at twenty-four hours anyway. That might be the minimum requirement, but they're probably going to go, you know, you know, if you're a gun owner and you, w- you want to do something like this, you're kind of pretty much undergoing ongoing training all of the time anyway, just to make sure that you can effectively, t- uh, you know, respond in the unlikely event. And, and we need to res- point that out, too. It, even yeah. though it seems like there's a rash of these things, how many schools are there in America and how many of these do we have? I mean, it's such a very, very, very rare event. So in the unlikely event, it did happen at a particular school. I would think those who want to carry uh, and, and take this training would probably stop, not stop at 24 hours anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to hit that one point that you just made. I'm guilty of this. I think we all are in the news business. We've been sliced scenarios and we spread it over the whole issue. So, yeah, we're really looking at outliers, although, you know, when you're, a family member of the, the kid that was killed or, you know, a teacher that was killed. It's its real to you, and it's not an outlier, and I'm not trying to disrespect those folks because that was heartbreaking. I think we both had maybe we were choked up when we talked about uh, Uvalde last week. Um, but, you know, the issue is that school boards can require more training, so that's a minimum. They can require more training, and they can decide who they're going to authorize to have, you know, a gun. And uh, to your point, I think there are probably already teachers who have hundreds of hours of training who say, okay, I want, I want that to be able to be recognized now. And, uh, you know, I want to have a tool in my tool belt if something goes down in my school, you know, in my school. Um, and I think that's the important part is that it brings the decision, you know, down to that individual school district, that local level. Um, and it gives, it gives teachers in that, you know, unlikely, but that terrifying um, situation. Um, it gives them something that uh, doesn't require them to wait 20 minutes for someone to get there, or if someone does get there, 30 minutes to you know to come through the door. Yeah, and that's the key there. As I said in the beginning, you know, um, the the end of these things always happens when guns are, are present that are shooting back, or at least threatening to shoot back at the shooter. Uh, that's when they give up or they surrender or they kill themselves or they get shot. That's how it happens every time. So it's a question of do you want it to be seconds or minutes. Uh, and to, to the to the part about thin slicing it and spreading it out, and you're exactly right, just a quick check here. I looked it up. It's Wikipedia, so it is what it is. Uh, when I looked up how many elementary schools are in America, they say in this Wikipedia entry, in 2017 there are 106,147 elementary schools. Around 73,000 of them are public and around 32,000 are private. So so let's just say there's over 100,000 elementary schools in America. I think we can count still on one hand, can we not? The number of elementary yeah. schools that were, you know, that were victimized in these situations. So whatever the whatever that percentage is, it's less than less less than one half of probably one quarter of 1%. Um but still, Jack, that when it does happen, it is so horrific, you have to plan for it. And uh, as I've said many times, and give me your thoughts on this, there are a lot of places we commit armed officers to protect people, to protect drunks. In a, in a nightclub, there's armed officers in, in bars and in, in, in clubs to, to, to protect players and athletes and, and, and fans inside the, the, the arena at, uh, you know, at uh, uh, 
Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse or at First Energy Stadium or Progressive Field. They got armed officers everywhere to protect people just in the event of something bad happening. How can we not do that to our schools? How how does how do they come in last place in the order of places where we'll put armed cops? (laughs) Yeah, here, here, right. Uh, You know, I think uh, tragically, I think there was an incident in Milwaukee um, after a basketball game not long ago. Uh, So. But yes, there are officers there. Look, I, I go to church. I've gone to churches where there are officers in the church. Uh, they're there. Um, you know, not only are they out directing traffic, but they're actually in the building making sure that you know that everything's going down the right way. If you go to, a, if you have a kid that has a, a high school musical or a program, oftentimes there are law enforcement officers there as well. That's right. So um, you know, there's kind of that stigma. But here's the other point I want to make. Um, I think what we have to stop doing is making this a zero sum game. It's like there are several things, right? We need to make sure that our doors are locked. We, we need to make sure that if we can employ school uh, resource officers that we do. You know, this is another uh, tool on the tool belt. And, and, yeah, there's probably some training, additional training that needs to happen in those uh, situations where there is an active shooter or someone who's, you know, breached the building and, and uh, people need to take cover. So all of those things can happen. I don't think it has to be a zero-sum game. Either you do guns or you don't do, do guns. And, um, you know, because that's oftentimes we take it to the least common denominator and have that debate well you know we'll wrap it with this then you know what do you make of the fact that the press secretary for the president of the united states said on tuesday that the president does not agree with the idea of hardening schools this is not something that he supports he doesn't agree with hardening of schools which of course means securing schools with armed officers or staff or whatever the case might be he does not like that idea what do you make of that uh, I, you know, look, there's no logic there. Um, you're talking about somebody who makes decisions not based on principle, but on an agenda or on emotion. So that doesn't surprise me. But keep in mind, the mantra that we heard not long ago was mask, vaccinate if it saves one life. Right. Well, now, if it saves a life, if it involves a gun and not a mask or a vaccine, then it doesn't make sense. Um, he's a walking contradiction. So, you know, I, I whatever we get from Joe Biden, I expect. Well, the gun control nuts are are all walking contradictions. I thought you phrased it very well on Facebook last night. It's one of the reasons I reached out to you when I saw the article uh, on the Ohio, Ohio Press Network is uh, you pointed out that if a police officer shoots a suspect, the police officer is the bad guy. If a psychotic individual, somebody suffering from psychosis, shoots people, it's the gun that's the bad thing. It's not the person. Isn't that just a, an interesting irony? Yeah, so we, we respect the person with psychosis, and we fear the gun. <laughs> we fear the officer. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, look, yeah, it's backwards. It's absolutely backwards. Look, there was a time in this country, I can tell you from not personal experience, but family personal experience way back, um, kids carried guns to school. People carried guns everywhere. It was just what you did. You know, they respected guns. They understood what they did and why you needed them. And so they, they taught and trained how to use them. Well, we've gotten away from that, and we've created fear around guns now. Um, and look, I think you posted something not long ago from a mob hitman, a renowned mob hitman. Guess what? Folks are always going to have guns. They're going to get guns. It's the law-abiding citizens when you take the guns away from them that get a, get in trouble. But by the way, Bob, that's never going to happen. I just want to – I'm going to say that right now. You're not going to get guns away from every American. That's never going to happen. Well – uh, I want to believe that um, you saw what just happened to our north, right? Just this week, yeah. 
Trudeau literally disarmed every Canadian. You can no longer own, sell, transport, buy, or anything else, guns in all of Canada. They looked at what one psychotic idiot uh, in uh, in Uvalde, Texas, shot up a school, and Canada said, we're going to make all Canadians pay the price for that, and we're taking all of your guns away. Uh, I want to believe that'll never happen here. But then again, I have a president who also said three days ago that nine millimeter handguns, nine millimeter uh, ammunition can blow the lungs right out of the body. And there's no reason for having those. So if he's coming for the AR-15s, it isn't long before he's coming for those nines, which, of course, is the most popular handgun in America. Yeah. So I, I kind of chalk that up to, um, you know, he's searching for something on, on which to build some sort of momentum as we go into the midterm elections and, and guns might be that as well as the, you know, the potential decision on Roe v. Wade. Um, I think he's trying to score some political points. I could be wrong. <laughs> I hope I'm not. Um, but to your point, yes, it's happened in Canada. So it absolutely could happen here. And, you know, I guess to maybe look at it from your angle, uh, Western civilization didn't hold up well over the past two years. You know, what we thought were our freedoms and what we would you know, be willing to go to bat for in any circumstance, um, people just kind of bowed down. Um, it, honestly, it, it, sometimes in the face of um, lacking data and medical evidence, they just gave up their rights. So, Bob, you could be right, and I could be wrong on this one. Well, I would hope you're right, and I'm wrong. I would hope that the people would rise up. But what we are talking about, though, if they try to disarm Americans and Americans have to defend themselves against disarmament, they would have to use the arms they currently have. We would literally be talking about uh, a very, very violent situation if they tried to disarm Americans because Americans would not give up their rights uh, very easily. I think you're right about that. But, boy, I can see the American government trying it based on some of the things we've seen recently. Jack Windsor, uh, really appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much for making the time this morning. Keep up the great work with the Ohio Press Network. It was an honor, Bob. Thanks for having me. God Thank bless you. you. So Talk to you soon. You got it. All right, there's Jack Windsor. By the way, he referenced a video that I posted from Sammy the Bull Gravano. It is an interview with Sammy the Bull, who is the former underboss of the Gambino crime family. I'm going to play this. It's only 57 seconds long. But this is the clip that I posted because this is reality. Criminals would love the idea of a completely disarmed, um, you know, um, population of targets because it makes their job so much easier. They will always listen. When I watch the news and I all the time, these kids will go around shooting people. The news asks a million questions, just like you asked. Why? How come? We're going to gun control. What's guns got to do with it? Now, I'm putting my criminal hat on. Go ahead. Do gun control. Take away guns from all the good people. I will always have a gun. Every criminal will always have a gun. It doesn't come from different states. It could come from different countries. And if you were probably when you were younger, you heard the thing, a zip gun. They can make a gun. We made silences. So that's not going to help nobody. What it's going to do is a girl is home with her kids. Some guy is stalking her. He wants to rape her. But he's always questioning, if I kick that door in to protect her kids and herself, she might have a gun and blow my head off. But take away all of that protection. She's going to get slaughtered. Take away that protection. She's going to get slaughtered. That's from a guy, one of the most notorious hitmen in the history of the mafia, Sammy the Bull Gravano, laying it out. You disarm the population. I will always have my arms, he said. We will always have our guns. We'll get them illegally in any way we have to. 
taking them away from the good people, the innocent people, makes our job easier. Somebody get that message to Let's Go Brandon. I'll be right back. Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us. Make sure you check it out. A lot of people are leaving messages on the uh, sound off button now, and I want to share some of those because a whole bunch of them came in yesterday I didn't get to. I also want to remind you to get to the webpage that are, uh, where you can buy your tickets for the upcoming 100th anniversary celebration, June 21st at uh, Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead. VIP begins at 4.30, general admission ticket holders, doors open at 6 o'clock, the music begins at 7, tickets are on sale now, we'll be at Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead, June 21st, music from Top Dog, drinks, uh, food, uh, you can hang with me and Tom Kelly in the VIP section, we'll talk about all everything that's going on in the uh, country, or in your lives, whatever the case might be, you'll enjoy the music, white whiskey tasting flight, and so much more, and our own Johnny Hiles, who runs uh, our board and is the producer of this show. Uh, also is a musician, and he'll be opening up for Top Dog, which is going to be an awful lot of fun as well. So we're looking forward to seeing there. If you do not have your tickets, get them now at whkradio.com. That's whkradio.com. We were canceled by a club down in the uh, flats. Told you about this a little bit yesterday. We were canceled because they looked at our website after agreeing to book the event and getting us bands, Beatles uh, uh, cover bands and so forth, to recognize the heritage of the 100th anniversary of WHK being on the air. And uh, then they looked at our website and said, we don't like your politics. And so they basically canceled us and canceled our event. So we said, fine, we'll move it to a place that doesn't believe in cancel culture. Uh, who's Who wants to step up? Tony George owner of Harry Buffalo, stepped up in two seconds and said, bring it to me. And that is exactly where it will be brought. Now that, by the way, I'm looking at, a, I'm looking at an email from the other establishment that was in the flats that was going to host this event. Now I see why they don't want to have us there. We believe in family values. They believe in, um, well, drag bingo, which is going to be held on June 17th. We believe that the Disney groomers that are looking to sexualize children and force them into identities that they don't have as young children, we believe that's bad. Uh, At this particular place, they're holding Disney brunch featuring the Little Mermen, New York City's premier Disney cover band on Sunday, June 5th. How about that? I'm sure there's more, Uh, but the drag drag, uh, bingo is, is a classic. Uh, but we'll have to see what else they have. Yeah, there it is. Late Night Lounge Drag Bingo, Friday, June 17th. That's just super. Uh, so anyway, this wasn't a political event at all. This is a celebration of a radio station being on the air for 100 years, a century. And they canceled us. So we need to uh, we need to stand up to that. And I need you to get your tickets now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. And uh, we'll have a great time on June 21st. I'm not hearing what I want to hear right now. They are guns. I have two questions. Let's start this over. Hold on a second. President Brandon wants to take away our guns. I have two questions. First, does the Secret Service carry arms? 
If so, why? They can just call 911. Second, if they carry arms, do they use higher caliber than 22? Chuck? Just a question. Chuck and Menor, thank you for that message. It's a great point. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Joe Brandon, give up your Secret Service detail. Just if something bad happens around you, call 911 and wait for the response. That should be easy. That's, why not? That's what you want everybody else to do. And if you are going to have Secret Service there, you heard the man. I hope they're not carrying 9 millimeters. Hopefully they're not carrying rifles. Hopefully they're just carrying twenty twos. you know, so that the bullet that gets lodged in a lung can be removed and a life can be saved. Isn't that how you said it's supposed to work? Great message, Chuck. Thank you very much. Hey, Bob. This is Gary from Cleveland. I see that uh, Armin Budish is trying to be uh, a little Fauci of uh, Cuyahoga County and requiring masks at... Uh, County uh, buildings and, um, you know, this stupid county executive position was created by the Democrat Party just for more power. So I thought a, a cool little uh, protest we could do is send Armin Budish a mask in the mail, maybe with a little note, you know, saying, uh, you know what you can do with this mask? You know, nothing obscene or no swear words, just say <laughs> Hey, you know what you can do with this mask. And uh... It's not just Armin Budish, though, by the way, Gary. Thank you for the phone call. I, this was one of the lead stories on the webpage right now at alwaysright.us. Um, the Biden Department of Justice is going back to the courts to try to uh, appeal the decision to end the mask mandate for public transportation, for flights, for trains, for buses, and so on and so forth. They're trying to remask America again. And this despite the fact that COVID cases continue to plummet to the point where they're virtually non-existent. And those who are that are in existence, people are having no symptoms, or they are certainly uh, uh, not being hospitalized or dying. The numbers don't merit any such ridiculous um, decision other than what do they what do they like to do the best? What do they like to do the most? And that is wield their power. It's not about the science. It's all about compliance. It's on a T-shirt. Buy one at alwaysright.us. Good morning, Bobby. Derek from Richfield calling. So I just want to um, point out the obvious here that how could we how could there be a huge transition in a country this size off of fossil fuels for all vehicles and engines? without anything in place how how could how could they not have that green renewable fantasy um infrastructure set up first and then you would uh you would wean off of fossil fuels you know kind of like leaving a country like afghanistan they should have pulled the troops out last to ensure a safe departure not pull the troops out first and then let mayhem happen. Yeah. He's exactly right. Derek in Richfield is exactly right. And no doubt he is talking about Biden telling everybody that this is a great transition. It's a wonderful transition. It's an incredible transition into getting off of fossil fuels. And when it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels. He's, uh, you know, he's spot on. You, you better have the electrical grid upgraded to handle millions and millions of electric cars. You better have uh, the electric cars on standby if you're going to try to price people out of driving regular uh, gasoline-powered vehicles. You better have millions of those cars ready to be sold and to be sold at affordable prices. 
not at fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. If the infrastructure isn't there, then you can't have your incredible transition. But then again, this is the Brandon administration. It's what we've come to expect. Great messages, good stuff. Thanks to everybody for doing that. Always appreciate hearing from you. Tomorrow's a free for all Friday. We'll talk to you then. Have a great day. Be well, be safe, and let's say this together now. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.